So, Elon Musk. Oh, fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where where does one even start? Um, I have a tidbit. I have a tidbit to start with. Okay, let's go with the tidbit. So a a woman who I I wouldn't call a friend, I would call an acquaintance um, that I I really appreciate and respect. She shared a video of Elon Musk from kind of the early years of Elon Musk where he's doing an interview. um, I think it was 60 Minutes that was doing an interview with him. And it's basically him being portrayed as this 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 godlike creature. Yeah, who, who do like to do that in tech, yeah. Who doesn't care about money. He went on a whole tangent how he's paid minimum wage. Um, he could think of nothing worse than sitting on a beach and drinking pina coladas and that he was driven by innovation. And that innovation... And the ability to make change was the thing that drove him. And to me, it was just such a warped um, presentation of of who he is. And this woman who shared it resonated with it personally and, you know, shared something very personal around how she felt that this was something that drove her as well. Yeah. And it just threw me through a loop because how I envision Elon Musk is not godlike for fucking damn sure and definitely not someone who is not driven by financial gain and so I just want to ask you how did you perceive Elon Musk? I've always perceived him as a very clever smart business person more so than an innovator um Mm. like I and it's just funny how people rewrite their history or you rewrite stories or the media and I've got another great example of this or how the media rewrites stories or how we only see what we want to see or we have a story in our mind of you know Elon Musk being this great innovator and that's what's been interesting with the whole Twitter purchase is actually having all of his exchange and emails come to surface and you read for a few of them and you're like oh you're not the genius you're you're just a simple man once in a while. It's just like the way he writes and the way he does business transactions and you go, wow, this just, it's like you see how the sausage is made and like that gravitas comes out. And the reason I say, I think the flip that I had of just like, oh, you're not actually this grandiose innovator that I thought you are. I see you more as a very smart business person is when I realized that he wasn't the creator and founder of Tesla. He's just the CEO. Uh, Yeah. And when I had that moment, I was like, ah, Mm-hmm. And I had so, for so long associated him with that. That um, mind, yeah. But my God, Sorcha, if there's a great bloody parallel here with the whole FTX scandal that's just happened over the last two or three months and Sam Bankman freed, or SBF as everyone's been calling him, he was also portrayed and put on the Fortune you know, Fortune front cover and the, all the time front cover and he was portrayed in Silicon Valley as this incredible person and he's got this fascinating line of I just want to become a billionaire so I can make the world a better place sure bud sure sure we all want to be billionaires so we can make the world a better place yeah um and so this just it it, and not to say obviously I don't want to do like a all all people or all men in tech are the same but there is definitely an interesting thing there an interesting thread but it also just goes to show when you've got money everything's that much easier it's that much easier and I think that was the piece in this this video from literally it was genuinely from over a decade that was like you know recut and correlated so it looked in a specific way but it's really easy to say 
I don't care about sitting on a beach and drinking pina coladas when that's actually a choice that you can make every day versus Mm. that you have to get up and go and work three jobs or whatever it is. Thing that I actually didn't realize until I sat down to start reading this was the acquisition was three days before the midterm elections. Mm. It finalized three days before. And then he fired or got rid of almost all of the people who do censorship and stuff like that. Yes. He also just, um, at the time of recording this, he just put Yi or Kanye West or Ye, I don't know how the fuck you pronounce his new name. I'm really sorry. I have no idea if it's Ye or Ye, actually. Um, but I'm just going to call him Kanye West. He put Kanye West on. Oh, cool. I uh, was like, who's Ye? Ye yeah, <laughs> Kanye West, um, rebranding um, from yep. mm-hmm. six months cool. ago, I think, or a year ago. Um, but Kanye West having posted a swastika in a star, uh, a David star, a star of David, sorry, um, has now been banned from Twitter again. And you see there's like an exchange between Elon and him going, hey, bud, sorry, but you pushed it too far this time. You're like, oh, but again, it's the conversation you and I always have of how comfortable are we? And no one should be comfortable with the fact, whether it's Elon Musk or, or anyone else, well, yep. comfortable with one person who decides where their moral compass is and what ticks them. Because I'm like, oh, that's the thing that pushed you over the edge? Right. The stuff that pushed me over the edge would have been like three, four weeks ago when he was saying that Hitler's actually not that evil. And let's be realistic, you know. Yeah. The genocide of the Jewish people never happened and World War II never happened. And you're just like, really? That would have been the thing that would have really pissed me off. Yeah. Should have moved you in one way, shape or form. And also, you know, didn't we learn anything with Trump? Like the writings on kind of on the wall? Like, but it's all of these things that you and I always talk about of, it is definitely not as black and white. It's definitely not as easy as just saying he should have done more, more needs to be done. But the thing that stays true to me in every conversation you and I have is, I don't have the answer, but my God, should we not be comfortable with the fact that one man has so much power? And it's basically depending on how he feels that day. So the Monday uh, before the midterm elections... He tweeted, so how ABC News categorize it is that he tweeted for folks to cast their ballot in support of Republican candidates for Congress. How it reads, like word for word, Elon Musk tweeted, to independent-minded voters, shared power curbs the worst excesses of both parties. Therefore, I recommend voting for a Republican Congress, given that the presidency is Democratic. And then he threaded a response. Hardcore Democrats or Republicans never vote for the other side. So independent voters are the ones who actually decide who wins in charge. To me, as someone who is wheeling the the power of Twitter, which has become a part of people's news um, consumption that they rely on as fact, the fact that he, the head of that company now, decided to make a public endorsement literally the day before at 10.22 a.m. Eastern Time, November 7th. He tweeted that out. With the audience that he has, I think he's one of the most followed people on Twitter. Exactly. And he owns it. So where does he want to place it within the algorithm? So like, if whether or not he has the biggest following ever, he can choose to put it at the top of everyone's feed. Imagine he could choose to pin it. Like there's yeah. nothing stopping him Just from deciding I'm every day, ping my tweet the top you of the... You must look yeah. at this. Yeah. <laughs> You know the other thing that's fascinating tied to the first question that you told me, which someone flagged to me, which is none of Elon Musk's ventures have succeeded without, it's not the right way of framing it, but without government subsidies. Ooh, 
Twitter is going to be his first endeavor that he sets out to make successful, an endeavor that does not have government subsidies. Unless he gets them. SpaceX, Tesla, all all subsidized by the government. Fuck, there could be a whole world here though, Tony, where this person, because he knows that from a business model perspective and relies on it, that he is the first person who's actually able to bring about the conversation of why there needs to be a regulatory uh, component to social media platforms and that they get a certain amount of funding for um, uh, exploratory language review, etc. Yeah, misinformation. misinformation yeah. And that funny, that funny, that um, money gets funneled from the government to pay. Funneled money, funny. That's, yeah, funny. Exactly. Funny funneled money. <laughs> Uh, but like it could be very interesting to see what that type of mindset could actually do in a place that we know needs regulation. 100%. And actually, this ties in really nicely into something that I was was reading about, which was, so there's two researchers, researchers? Yeah, two pieces of research that I read that I thought was really interesting. One is that more and more young people are using TikTok and TikTok's algorithm to find information. Like the phrase that we used to say, Google it. Now people are just saying TikTok it, which is fascinating. And so the Pew Research Center recently came out and they found that more Americans are getting their news from TikTok than anywhere else. And the percentage of people getting their news from TikTok has basically tripled in the last two years. So it used to be around 10% wow. in 2020. And now um, now for adults, under 30, the number is 26. And for above 30, the number is now closer to 30. Uh, which is fascinating. Um, TikTok has also become kind of the de facto platform also for political campaigns and campaigning, which we talked about recently. Um, But we also know specifically in this country, even though it's true elsewhere, that we have a massive misinformation, you know, I'm going to call it pandemic or issue um, throughout the whole of the country. And so according to another Pew Research, nearly three quarters of people across 19 countries believe that the spread of false information is one of the major threats that we have. It's only second to climate change. Isn't that fucking wild? Climate change was the highest rated concern for most countries, with the medium being around 75, I think it was 75%. And misinformation was right behind it at about 70%. Isn't that fucking insane? That 70% of people agree that misinformation is one of the biggest threats that we are facing right now. It's insane, but it makes so much sense. So much sense. It makes so much sense given the past three years that we've experienced, or two years that we've experienced. Wow. And so I think that's where my head was out. Like, what happens when people decide that the 2022 election results weren't real? Well. Like, what do you do when you couple that with, increasingly people are getting their news (laughs) from websites, from TikTok, which honestly is not worse or better no. than Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, but it's like you can share anything. And actually, I've got um, a really, really interesting example um, for you that's tied to Iran. So with everything that's happening in Iran right now, there's a woman, I got her page pulled up in front of me, but there's a woman that I've been following, a woman called Nicole Najafi, um, who is Iranian herself, um, but living no longer living in Iran. And... The New York Times today came out with a piece that said, um, trying to find the article, that said basically that the, 
the morality police have been dismantled. Um, that Iran um, Iran abolishes the morality police after months of process. Um, New York Times, one of the main stories, Iran, um, Iran, sorry, abolishes morality police after months of protest. And it's not true. It's not true. What she is saying, it's not true. There is, she is saying there is absolutely no confirmation that the morality police has been shut down. The laws and punishment concerning women have not been changed. There are still kids right now on death row. There are tens of thousands of people in prison. And even, she's saying, even if they did abolish the morality police, this is meaningless because Iranians want the regime gone, not reformed. And so she talks at length about how the regime right now, and there's been leaked um, audio tapes in the last couple of weeks, actually between Iran and Qatar, which is Jesus, a whole yeah. other fucking conversation, Sorsha, of like, yeah, like if you, and so they're saying we've sent 10,000 people in. Mid-World Cup, we've sent 10,000 people that are like pro-regime, that are supporting the regime, and they're asking for like information on anyone that's anti-regime, yada, 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 which is very scary knowing that all of the players are going back home and the players, some of them didn't sing to the national anthem. Like there's just, this so layered and we're not going to get into that today. But in the leaked documents, the, the... Iran regime is basically heard saying we were desperate, we've lost the media war, what else do we need to do? And so this is part of them trying to get the Western media to basically be their mouthpiece. And it's another perfect, and the other thing that this woman flagged, and she's not alone, so many Iranians on the ground and elsewhere have been sharing that, and I think you probably saw this as well, that the traditional media, New York Times being one of them, was extremely slow at picking up the news in Iran. Like we've had the protest for 43 and it's, I'm putting protests in air quotes because it's so much bigger than this. It's a natural revolution happening right now. But they've been happening for 43 days. But Iran initially called them just protest, minor protest. And those news, that, that was like one news article that came out and that came out, you know, three weeks later, etc. Anyway, so this whole story came out again today of just like, this is not true. The New York Times is false. This is not accurate. It's the, basically the regime diverting attention away. Um, the executions have been made without official death sentences. The mass strikes uh, are planned for today and for tomorrow. It is 18,000 protesters facing horrible conditions, include, including solitary confinement. And that's been the case for months. And she's saying what was incredibly funny for us is, us as the Iranians, we saw this and for oh there's no fucking way anyone's ever going to believe this this is just none of this is is true and she was saying how bizarre it was for her to look at the new york times and go my god this is the misinformation so it's funny to layer it's not funny but it's fascinating to layer that into where you and i always talk about is like who the fuck do you trust you and i i i follow i'm lucky because i followed this woman and i've been following her for years i actually love her she's actually a writer and an incredible creative person and she's turned herself into becoming what I'm going to call an activist mm. for Iran right now and she's like she's stopped everything else that she's doing and this has become her full-time job but I really appreciate it but also she speaks the language she has contacts on the ground and she's able to get that and she's become like a citizen journalist with no other agenda than the truth and but I'm thinking like hi who I can't, I'm tr- I would normally trust The Guardian, the BBC, the New York Times to give me that mm. level of information that's accurate. But somehow now that accuracy is going through people that I've built trust with. And I don't know, there's just, there's just something there that's really been bugging me in the last... Maybe we're I, still I romanticizing a thing that's been gone for a really long time. Mm. Which is... Spell, like, New York spell it Times, out. BBC, etc. have the ability 
to articulate the news in a non-biased fashion and also identify that it is in fact the news as opposed to a rumor that they have heard. And I, I use the language romanticizing because I think over the years of you and I as friends and, and doing this podcast, we have both spoken about the like trust and the the deep kind of connection and reliability that you feel with institutions like the BBC, the New York Times, Washington Post. And maybe we're romanticizing that because it's not there anymore. Just how traditional media is still today doesn't take seriously streaming websites doesn't take stream take seriously sorry tiktok and that's why when you read these articles of like misinformation and distrust it always you know it always points to tiktok and twitter because it's written by journalists but the same can actually be said for journalists very i like that sort they're maybe still stuck a little bit in the past of just like actually, just like when I hear people go, "Why the fuck are you on TikTok?" Isn't that dancing tweens? I'm like, just it hasn't off. been dancing tweens in three years. Like, off. keep up. Like, <laughs> like it's not because you don't spend any time there that it's not worthy of actually being full of really interesting well, information. So, this is kind of related, but the reason I, I I bring it up is because you talk about the consumption in particular of TikTok, um, and I found myself in. TikTok rabbit hole as as one would call it um and this woman who is a professor at either Yale or Penn stitched a video of a I would say mid-50s white man with a beard who <clears throat> has a very large following and basically went on a rant about his whole thing was if you're a man looking to find a woman to marry, then listen to this video because I'm going to give you the number one thing that you should avoid. Good God. And it was women going to university. Because women who go to university have been corrupted by university. Mm. They have been soiled, was actually the language he used. It was one of the most insane things I have seen in a very long time. And I imagine it got millions, millions of Tony millions and the I never I am not a person you know this about me I am never someone who goes and looks at comments but but the woman who stitched it referenced a specific comment that had been made about how a man had married a woman who had gone to university and that everything that this guy was saying was true and university ruined her she wasn't the woman he thought he like like, matter of fact, like, women shouldn't be educated because it's not good for them to be a wife. And to your point, anyone is allowed to pick up a fucking phone and record what it is that they want to say. And if it gains traction, it gains traction. And so that's where this, like, the romanticizing piece of, of journalists, I think I, I still look at as reality for me. Because I, I just, I have a trust and maybe it's it's not the right thing, but I have a trust that they've actually done due diligence, that they've gathered at least three sources, that they're, they're doing the work for the right reason versus they're just fucking spewing something because they believe it. And you know what I've, I, I think you're spot on and I don't think my trust, I think where I've, where I've come and I kind of wish there was like a website that did this, which is, hey. The New York Times is spectacular for this type of coverage. But the reality mm. is the New York Times' coverage of what happens in Middle Eastern countries is probably shit at best or incomplete, lacks the layers. Um, 
simplified for the American audience, just way too much. Whereas The Economist's, by the way, coverage of what's happening in Iran is at the level of what you would expect from The Economist. It's not clickbait. It's not right now. It's, hey, we've looked at this for the past three weeks and this is what we've come out of it and this is our lessons. And so what I think I was missing in that moment is this is what I need. And this is where, with the amount of creation that's happening, I need a curation. I need someone to tell me best tech coverage comes from these three sources. Best American news coverage will come from these five to 10 sources. Best Middle Eastern coverage is going to come from these other people. And mixed in with thought leaders, mixed in with academics, mixed in. Because I think that's what I'm missing is I know that I've done the mistake of I pay for the New York Times and I kind of took blanket trust but they can't be. It's one institution. They can't be great at everything. It's just like, again, like, what what do I go to Politico for? I go to Politico for certain things. And so mm. I think that's where I, I come to. And I found people like this woman, Nicole, who, fuck me, I wouldn't go to her to get any of her personal opinions, maybe on tech or whatever. But my God, has she stopped doing everything and has dedicated her whole being right now to best coverage in class and most accurate and most complete to her small but growing audience but I found her it was luck and us be and I think this is where it ties back to social media us being informed cannot hinge on fucking luck you know what I mean like it can't hinge on I was lucky that I fall and I've been sharing her stuff but I just so happened that I fucking loved her I think her drawings and her writing and I just happened to decide to follow her four years ago and it just so happens that based on the research, a few people kept pointing to her and I was like, oh, I already follow her. That's interesting. And then I've been paying close attention. But that was luck. Yeah. And that oh, fucking scares fuck. me. Luck. Luck and bubbles. And bubble. Because well, now that I'm consuming yeah. her content, I'm getting all of her content, which means that I'm in this space of everyone is aware of this information, right? Everyone knows about, you know, the, the, um, the leaked audio between Qatar and the Iran regime and most people I've spoken to have said what the fuck are you even talking about and then I have there's a couple of news clippings but I'm in this belief because I'm consuming her content that everyone is getting receiving the same content but they're not of course they're not no and we've talked oh god I think that was like season one where we talked about like the bubbles your social media bubbles and it's drastically different for every single individual to your point about TikTok being a dancing platform no that's your content that's generated <laughs> and, and I for wouldn't you. say that out loud, by the way, because that tells me what you're engaging with. It, right? Like, that's, that's your bubble on TikTok, mate. That's your fucking decision. Tying back to the conversation we were having, actually, Sorsha, because I think there's a nice tie in here to your regulatory point, which I actually want to dig into a bit more. But what was interesting, I will say, with the midterm elections that I saw was both Meta and TikTok were putting things in place of just like, okay, we know that misinformation is a massive problem here, are the steps that we're going to do. Um, so TikTok had this thing called the election center where users could go to get what they call like information from authorities. Um, They were banning, I think, or they cancelled any political ads for the week leading up to the elections, which I thought was really Mm -hmm. interesting. So it was, it that has, for me, this is the, these midterms was the first time that I saw social platforms 
the likes of Meta, the likes of TikTok actually take such a proactive stance and be like, here are the four or five steps that we're taking. Here's what we've put in place. Uh, we're rolling out educational tools for creators. We're not allowing creators to do po- uh, paid um, campaigns and paid advertising with politicians. Um, we're, you know, going to hire more fact checkers. Like th- that was that was the first. This midterms was the first time I actually saw this being yeah. spoken about and these actions actually being taken versus after the election going, oh my god, so much misinformation. No, no, we've we've learned our lesson the hard way a couple times. But have they? I think there's a lot of smokes and mirrors with that. Of this is required, this is what we have to say we're doing, this is, except, like, look, I do not think that in any way, shape, or form, any of the social media platforms did a very good job of identifying misinformation and stopping it as in the lead up to the midterms. But I think a thing that we always come back to, they are ill-equipped to do so. They are tech companies. They are not people who have been able to actually create and orchestrate legislation I cannot speak, legislation, and they need to work with elected officials to do that and regulatory bodies to do that. Um, There was a piece that, so the bias here is that it is um, Tony Blair's Institute for Global Change. Did you read this too? No, but I heard about it. So US midterms, five trends of American news consumption. There are five very cool trends, but the one that I think is so relevant to what we've been talking about the last kind of 10 minutes here was trend number two, was individual journalists are now more significant than in a pre-internet age. And these journalists are generally partisan, which, uh, okay, I don't know if I agree with them on like that they're generally partisan, but I do Mm. understand where they're coming from with that. The piece though that, kind of really so in the u.s the most mentioned journalists by people are all partisan journalists so think your tucker carlson's on the right think your don lemon's on the left where you have this individual that is like taking on a role where you not only believe deeply in what they're saying because they're a journalist but you also identify and align with the politics that they actually care about and so it's creating this like very scary like bubble of I agree with that individual they're a journalist so they're credited and I am only going to consume content for them and I'm going to go to like at bat for them and what I am seeing this turn out to in the states is that these people and I'm not going to use the god language again but these people like a Tucker Carlson and a Don Lemon on the other side or a Kuma on the other side are a step above they're celebrities exactly they're celebrity. Thank you, Tony. They are celebrity. They're not journalists anymore. And I would even pull that further on the thread, which scares me is, as their audience grows, they've realized that they can make more money and get bigger lucrative deals. How does your audience grow? Polarizing content and putting out incredibly polarizing content on platforms such as Twitter, which means that by starting rows online, creating personalized, you're at the end, you're wondering... And there's a handful of people in tech as well that love fucking picking fights. And you go, it's a double-edged sword for your next employer because you come with a large following. So if you hire a journalist that comes with half a million followers, you know that your page views are going to go through the fucking roof because that person has an audience. But then are you actually doing journalism? Or do you be, or or in my opinion, you then should come with um, 
a note that says this is opinion. These are opinion pieces at this point for me. So this report then goes into the contrast between countries that have a strong national media brand with strict impartiality rules. Where it could be anyone giving you the news, it remains factually accurate and you could have a rotating of people, but you'd still get the same information. Yeah, interesting source. BBC in the UK, ARD in Germany. Whereas, as we all fucking know in the US, it is grounded and based in commercial views. How many people are tuning in at seven o'clock to see someone do whatever dance it is that they're doing? That, to me, is the biggest fucking problem in the States, regardless of social media. Take social media out of it. Sure, they can grow their own followings there. But that, that component of the fact that your news is delivered by someone who you believe is a celebrity, but you also give them the respect and accreditation that you would a journalist or someone who has actually earned the right to build that trust with you, it, that is the biggest fucking problem here. And I would, and it's interesting because I go back to my piece about needing that curation. I would have that, like mm. where are the news outlets that I go for factual accuracy and who are the people that I actually want a strong opinionated piece? Like I, whether I disagree with it or like I love, that's one of the reasons I love The Economist because it is, it's not facts. It's generally factually accurate, but they are not here to give you the latest up-to-date fact. They're here to tell you a story and a broader narrative and it comes with a deeply opinionated lens. But, uh, God, but yet, yeah, celebrities. God, I love that. But that's that's like a very academic way to look at it, right? Like, I want to be challenged. I want to be in a thought process with this piece that I'm reading. Which which most people, and look, it took me fucking years to get there. And I'm probably still not where I want it to be. But and to your point, like that's the, that is the biggest danger of social media is that polarization, but also that desire that we have of, oh my God, you just said a thing that's been in my head for so long and I completely believe in it. Or you're a fucking idiot I, you, I fundamentally disagree with everything you've just said mm. which is why that example that you gave is perfect because you and i would watch that video and look probably at the professor and go oh my god you're spot on and then look at his video and go you're a fucking wanker what are you on about um and people who probably disagree with us will have the complete opposite complete option and i think the thing that scares me the most is the example you just gave should exist but where we are right now it exists but it exists with like uh, an anger that you're not listening to me or not hearing me versus a conversation of, oh, wow, you have a differing opinion to me. So we should talk about that. There is just a, a, a vitality, vitality is the wrong word. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say eclectic, but it's not eclectic. No, Electric? No, it is for... Uh... Anyway, it, I think it is Volta. Like there is a there is a violent undertone. I think is the broader way. That's a good way of putting that. it. There um, is a violent undertone to what and enter in January sixth. That when you are looking at, in particular, when you're looking at a news cycle that's heavily political, whether that be election outcomes or what's happening in Iran, you are seeing extreme divisiveness on either side of the aisle where they're not able to listen to each other because they believe that Tucker Carlson is the king or they believe that Don Lennon is the king and they don't have someone who is in the center who is able to deliver the news without an opinion. And so they attach to that opinion and then fight each other for it. And it's fucked up. And you know what that has led to? And this is per probably a perfect way to like wrap up on that comment of it's fucked up. <laughs> it's that I find myself getting into arguments with people on facts Mm. And I'm just like, I can't. Like, this, How can I'm, this you? Is not up, it's not up for fucking debate. 
Like, mate, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not about to sit here and have a debate about you, about whether X or Y happened. I will happily debate you on your opinions, but we end up in a position where the facts have been turned into the show, into the celebrity gossip, yada, yada, yada. And so we're sat here having in this asinine situation where we're having to disagree, people are disagreeing over fucking facts, which leads us back to, I can't actually even remember, and we already had this conversation, the name of the guy that we talked about who took over the internet for his rampant sexism. Um, Oh, fuck. Yes. Andrew Tate. Yep. Same thing where he, you know, he was, he was not a flat earther, but getting close to it. And you're just like, but you're spewing things that are factually inaccurate. You can have your opinion. You can, you can believe that you feel safer driving a car with a man behind the wheel than a fine. But you're saying facts that women get into car crashes more often than men. Not true. There's no research that's proven that. Actually quite the fucking opposite. And you can't reason with that. And so that just tells me, oh, you just love being a troll because being a troll on the internet brings you a fuck ton of views, which can lead to a fuck ton of money, which I go back to the point about journalists with these huge, they're getting big fucking salaries tied. Massive. Big fucking salaries. They're getting lucrative deals, much more lucrative deals than the journalist who has 10,000 followers on TikTok or Twitter. God, there's so much more here, but I think we should... We should close out. And for anyone who is listening, I would love to know where you get your news from. Tell us. Well, that's a great right? question. 